if you can cultivate the skill of listening, then people will tell you what they want. My name is Merrill Dubrow, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35-year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world, sharing their insights, strategy, and personal experiences. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough, pointed questions with real, insightful, and emotional answers. Today's guest is my good friend, Jamin Brazil, the co-founder of Decipher, former CEO of Focus Vision, podcast host, business executive, consultant, and frankly, all-around great guy. Welcome, Jamin, to the On The Mark podcast. Merrill, it is an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's, let's get into it, Jamin. Let's start with this. What... Um, what have you been up to now? You know, I, I know I gave you like 10 labels here. Did I even hit what? I mean, what should I have said? How do you view yourself and, and what are you up to? So the podcast has been a central theme for my last two years. Uh, and it's like growing really, really well. Um, the passion that I have for podcasting is taking off too. So I don't know what the future holds for me, but I, I do know that podcasting and, and specifically the Happy Market Research podcast will be a big part of that. And then, you know, I got to keep the lights on too. And as you know, Merrill, podcasting does not pay any, it's a great way to spend money. It's not a great way to make money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's true. Yeah. Well, at least it, it, the way I'm doing it, you know, this year we've got some, uh, four great sponsors that package is sold out and that's covering our fees for the year, which is, you know, it's one full-time employee. And then to supplement our income, we're doing uh, hub UX, which is a Basically, if it's a hard to reach audience, then we are really good at recruiting those people on social uh, media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Insta, et cetera. Um, we've been highly successful at recruiting real people to take projects. That's great. That's impressive. Let, what I really want to concentrate today is on leadership. I mean, you know, I mean, think about it for a second, you know, Focus Vision and, and founder of Decipher. I mean, those are huge companies, mainstay companies that all the listeners will know and hear about and probably know who people who work there. Let's talk about from a leadership, I mean, position. I mean, how did you get to that? Were you always were you always a leader? Was that kind of, you know, were you born like that? There's two parts to it, right? One is I have this DNA of leadership that I believe was installed largely by my mother, um, and then entrepreneurship, which is installed by my father. And those two things, you know, coming together for me really put me into a, you know, I've got to figure out how to chart my own path. Um, even when I had a full-time job, I was always side hustling in market research. When I uh, moved into that career in, in 1996, um, you know, it was the first time in my entire life. I didn't have a side hustle. I was just like hundred hours a week, focused on learning this craft. And then I did that for four years and then started Decipher uh, with uh, Jamie Plunkett and Erwin Andreessen. And then um, that then brought a lot of self-awareness of me being a bad leader. Uh, and so the second part of it, so I think the part of it is like just innate sort of who you are. And then the other part of it is this like ongoing willingness to self-assess and decide what aspects of your leadership style you want to keep and, and enhance, and then which parts, you know, you need to bolster with um, other people on the team that might help you with the blind spots. You know, that's interesting. I, you call it self-assess. I call it self-awareness. 
What percentage of the people, we're on Family Feud. You ready, Jamin? Let's play a little game. What percentage of the people do you think out of 100 have good self-awareness? 20%. Yeah. It's amazing, right? I mean, it's just shocking to me. Your number may be be accurate, but if if you'd asked me the question, I probably would have gone a little lower. Why is that? Well, it's funny. Harvard did a study on this subject or a student at Harvard, and um, they asked 10, actually 11 question survey among 10,000 participants globally. Um, the, the first 10 questions increased in difficulty. And then the 11th question was a self-assessment. How do you think you did on the study? The outcome of that was people that did badly thought they did really well. So there was a, almost a, ne- there was a negative correlation with their self-assessment and their performance. The point there is that it's really easy for us to uh, sit and judge, and it's it's it puts us in a position of power. And I think when we're when we're out of when we move out of that, and then start before I look at uh, the situation and say, "Well, gosh, you made this mistake, project manager. How could you have done that?" Instead of thinking that, it's like, "What could I have done to help ensure that they did a good job?" And it might be the case that there's nothing I could have done, right? Um, or there's nothing within reason I could have done, or maybe there's something in concert, but I have to always start with looking at myself as the leader, you know, this mistake happened. And so how could I have, you know, repaired that or stopped that or prevented that? And I think if you just kind of start there with yourself, regardless of if you're the CEO or if you're a project manager, or if you're, you know, an intern, if you always start with how can I do it better, then I I think you just naturally start cultivating that talent. And then I think the second part of it is, you know, you've got to be willing to receive criticism and ask for criticism because very rarely have, I've found anyway, very rarely people are willing to give you criticism even managers, you think about like you'd probably Mark, you do employee reviews, what annually? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, in that process, intuitively you would have this bell curve where you would have these people that are performing really, really well on one side and then, you know, bad. And then you've got the majority of people in the middle, but really what winds up happening is everybody, if it's a 10 point scale, everybody's kind of like a five, right? Because managers don't like having the tough conversations with employees because as soon as you start saying you're doing really bad or you're doing, then it starts creating some tension there. And and so I, I think as an employee, if you can put that review process on its head and before you go into that room, like three months before, require a one-on-one from your manager and say, how am I doing? The employee reviews are coming up. I want to make sure that I'm a 10 of 10 or whatever the top of the scale is. You know, what can I do to shore up my skills and my delivery to ensure that I am operating at the top 1% of Mark employees? Yeah, I think there's a lot of takeaways. It's it's interesting because when I was younger, I didn't have great self-awareness. I didn't know how I came across and I finally took a step back and, you know, I, I had a sharp tongue and, and was a little bit of a wisecracker. And I remember getting my my good buddy, Gary Schumann, in trouble. And I used to have to sit in the cubby hole in, you know, in sixth grade. And then, you know, I kind of learned that over time. And, and it's interesting because I'm very close to Ryan Barry from Zappy Store. And Ryan, Ryan's interesting because for a lot of reasons, really, really smart. And is somebody who's who can really have a good understanding of who he is. He asks me and others close to him, two or three, four people that are very close to him to give him a self-awareness 360 every year. And he said, look, don't sugarcoat it. Tell me what I need to do better. Tell me what my blind spots, as you mentioned, are and, and move forward. And I really give a lot of credit because to me, 
and you've heard me say this before, 900, 900 seconds, get better at something, 900 seconds, 15 minutes a day. And if you don't have great self-awareness, you don't know where to start to get better at something. For me, my big moment of awareness, we, I did a, um, we did a coach, had brought in an executive coach, Kristen, Jamie, and myself, uh, in 2007 and, or six maybe. And, um, yeah, it was 2006, right after Kristen joined us in that coaching session, Jamie, who I had worked with at this point for 10 years said, it makes me uncomfortable when we're in customer pitches and you use the F word, which is something that I did. Like, it was just like part of my vocabulary. I wasn't trying to be like offensive. It was just part of how I communicated. I was blown away because he had never given me that information before. And then it really caused me to say, okay, well, what other things are happening? How am I, I'm communicating with other people or being with other people. And so there's this like, it's not like you wake up and are self-aware, right? It's this ongoing journey. And I found that if I'm, and this is like a, a, such an important key that I wish more salespeople would pick up on. If you can cultivate the skill of listening, then people will tell you what they want and they'll tell you what they want in the way that they want to hear it from you. And so, uh, the, the hack there is you start the conversation with, you know, tell me what your biggest problem is that we somebody would solve. Uh, and you can't do that in every meeting, but you can do a variant of that in every meeting. And by becoming the easy button for them or the connector for that customer, then you immediately start opening up doors for yourself now and later to increase revenue, right? For, for sales purposes. The same thing applies though in a, in a personal development context. And the same thing applies as a husband to, or to your spouse uh, as well as to your children. So, you know, you, you, if you always start with understanding where their pain is, the other person's, then you're immediately put in a position of power to understand if you can address or how you can help alleviate that pain. And then that be, that creates this fantastic opportunity for, um, positive feelings or love to, uh, be cultivated. Yeah. I, I think there's so many takeaways there and I couldn't agree with you more. Um, listen, we, we know we're right in the middle of this, um, pandemic COVID-19, um, is, is clearly affecting the entire world. Um, what I want to do is just ask you to have an out of body experience for a second. I know you have a staff of, of yourself and, and another person and probably a few people that from a consulting standpoint that you bring in, but I'm going to give you a staff of 60 people and I'm going to give you revenue. Congratulations of $20 million. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a nice guy. I'm going to give you a mood today and you're CEO. Okay. So the question is, what would you do? What would you be looking at? What would you communicate to your internal team, your external team as a leader, as the guy? I'm going to, because I'm the CEO, I'm going to assert that I'm an empathetic CEO to the employees and to the uh, market. And so if that's, if that's the case, then I've already built credibility with both of those constituents. You know, I, I think a, a real a, a successful CEO in times of crisis is a successful CEO leading up to the crisis before the crisis hit. And it's really important to know that like you've basically decided how people are going to perceive the words that you say before you say them. And I think if in this crisis, if you look at some of the companies that are thriving right now, like Zoom, for example, you know, the reason that Zoom is succeeding over its competitive set is because Zoom was succeeding before the COVID-19 crisis. And so when the crisis hit, there was already an affinity in the market 
And it create and then their first thing that they did, like straight away, was offer free Zoom to ac- uh, academic institutions, which is like this great positive thing, right? That all of us can relate to because all of us have kids or connections to children, or I say children now that I'm old, but you know, college students, whatever, that have that are being impacted by this, materially impacted by this. Just I'll give you an example. I've got. I've had two ex-wives. I have children with both of them, right? And my current wife. So I've got five kids spread out around a a hundred mile radius. I get to see my kids normally about 25% of the time during the week, uh, which is basically weekends. Now, because of this crisis, I haven't been able to see my children. They haven't been able to see me. And so my wife coordinated a Zoom call for all of us to um, do charades for 30 minutes, right? And and so the, 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 the way that I'm trying to answer this question is you've, you've got a tool that is now being institutionalized in the way that we communicate. And the, and the way that it happened wasn't because it was really lucky. I mean, look at, look at Google Hangouts. That existed before Zoom, right? And functionally does the exact same thing. I would argue that it does it almost as well, right? And it's freaking Google. <laughs> like, who can beat Google? The, re- the reason that Zoom is dominant is because of the, its ability to be able to empathetically connect with the user as opposed to drive a quota, which is how all the other products, WebEx, et cetera, have been perceived, in my opinion, how I've perceived them. And so, you know, the, the message that I would deliver to my employees is that we have one asset and it isn't the insights that we deliver. It isn't the technology that, empo- that enables our customers to do stuff. And it isn't the products that we uh, deliver. It's the customer relationship. And so to that end, where my commitment would be is to drive value to my customers during this time of crisis. And obviously, subsequently after that, the way that I would do that would be trying to identify some level of whether it's research on research or, you know, top ways they can do X or some sort of free thing that creates a, a value component to my customer base. And then I would come up with a really clear strategy on how we can roll that out in the next 48 hours, right? So it's not ambiguous. It's a clear picture of what success looks like. And then it's just driving the driving that, you know, on a if it if it requires company connections every, you know, twice daily for that 48 hour period, then that's what you do. And and so you know, I think about like when, when Google announced, um, I forget what they called their Facebook competitive set, but anyway, right when that happened, Zuckerberg, uh, put up a, um, you know, basically like a, we're at war sign inside of Facebook's headquarters. And it was like, it was like full, at least how I've heard it depicted. It was like a military lockdown. Like this is a really big problem. And if we're going to survive, we've got to be paying attention. And they obviously weathered that storm remarkably well. So I think, you know, this crisis actually creates this fantastic opportunity for, uh, to create momentum. And so when you think about like the financial crisis, the back, the first part of the financial crisis for Decipher was material, right? We lost 30% of our, uh, top line revenue coming out of the financial crisis. Just 12 months later, we grew by 56%. And that momentum then carried forward for another uh, uh, two years. And, and, you know, it it isn't because there was material changes to the business that were made. It was just that we were in a position to be able to take advantage by creating um, focus in, in the business. You know, it's interesting. I had a discussion with a friend of mine 
Brian Maines, who's in the he's in Dallas and he's he's in the construction business. He's a builder. And we had a discussion earlier and he was getting my opinion. I said, listen, Brian, I, I think this is a great opportunity for you. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I think that you're going to be able to do things quicker. You know, he goes, well, in what way? And I said, well, first of all, you getting around from job site to job site is going to be quicker. You sending one of your team members to go pick up supplies is going to be quicker. If it normally takes an hour and a half, now it's going to take 20 minutes. Not to mention the labor pool, you're going to be able to get labor because um, everybody just wants to work and doesn't care what the, you know, they'll, they'll be willing to work for a little less. Not to mention, I think banks um, are going to be a little bit more forgiving with regard to any type of loans and interest rates are going to go down. So, you know, I built this quickly and he said, you know what, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I believe this exact same thing. And I think that, look, when we get to the other side of this, Okay. And we can sit here and, and discuss, is that a week? Is that two weeks? Is that a month? I, I don't know. Maybe you do, Jamin. I, I don't know. But the reality is, I think we're going to be in a better position from this aspect. Every CEO, every leadership team is going through every line, every cost that they have within their enterprise. And there are going to be some frustrated people who are like, wow, I can't believe I still had those costs in, in my company. And I also believe it's going to force everybody to be a little bit more efficient instead of doing something in seven days. How do we do it in four? And I also think the world is going to have a lot more empathy than it ever had. So I really believe that, you know, once we get to the other side of this, we're all going to be in a much better position. And, you know, and I love this quote, Sir Winston Churchill once said, he said, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Right. Which I think there's a lot of takeaways from that. Um, and I think you're right. I think that leadership to get through this situation started long before this situation, meaning that if you didn't have um, a certain type of communication style, if you didn't certainly didn't have a certain strategy or leadership style, it's probably going to be hard to get through this if your team, if your clients didn't see that prior. Do, do you agree with that? hundred percent. I, I mean, you trade on, you know, brand is performance over time. And that's what you trade on as an executive. I mean, that's what you trade on period, no matter if you're executive or not. And so, you know, the, the broad stroke here for me is like, there needs to be some brass tacks at clear execution against some very easy things. Like, I, mean, I don't know that this is the right formula, but you know, it's, I I'm hosting this week. I've been hosting a, a half hour virtual lunch on zoom. Anybody can join. I've had every day this week, I've had a CEO from a pharma company. That's great. Which is a big deal, right? Oh, sure. I know. And then some, uh, chief marketing officer from a, a sure. university. So, you know, and then a lot, a lot, you can imagine kind of like the normal group, um, in, of research. And so it's been a really neat opportunity to, yeah. for, you know, there's no ask there. There's yeah. no pitch. It's just, let's come together and talk about this moment in time. And so, you know, there's, and that's just like one example, but you could put together tons of examples or tons of value that could be added to customers. I think about like, this is the time that we can talk at scale and people are, our customers, our constituents, our employees are listening. So that's the, you know, this is the time for us to be able to really rise up. And I think, you know, if you're, if people aren't accustomed to social or zoom or whatever, you know, this is, so I'll leave you with this note. Um, and the, and the pharma CEO actually said it in the call yesterday. He said, this is the first time in my career where I will do a 
virtual meeting and 100% of the people will have their videos on. And it's because we're connecting at a new level. So there is a redefinition that's happening of, of how we're connecting, which I think is important. Jamin, lots of takeaways. Thanks again for listening to Jamin Brazil. This is the On The Mark podcast. My name is Meryl Dubrow. Have a great and safe day. Awesome, man. That was great. 